Amen. Aren't you glad that he's good? Do you believe it? Even when bad things happen? Oh, all right. I'll take your word for it, but I know some of y'all don't believe that. All right. If you'll turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, please. Jeremiah chapter 1. And if you have notes from me, if I send them to you, just letting you know now it's not in there. Um, but it's, it's in there now. God is after our hearts. And the reality is, if He has our hearts, then He has every part of us. But whatever portion of our heart that we hold back from Him, He doesn't have that portion in our life. And we're good at guarding our hearts. We're really good at compartmentalizing our hearts to give God what we think is enough for Him and safe for us. And therefore, we don't give Him all of our hearts. And therefore, He doesn't have all of us. And therefore, we're in trouble. We struggle. In Jeremiah chapter 1, if we could get this and pound it on our eyeballs so that we see it. You know, they have those cars now where you can see the speed that you're going and everything, right? On the windshield. We need to have this plastered on our eyeballs so that we see it. Whenever we're moving, whenever we're breathing, we see this. We know this. We have it. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. Now, as he's speaking to this or speaking this to Jeremiah, this is true of each and every one of us, minus the prophet part. You might not be a prophet, but you're an ambassador for God if you're a believer in Christ. And regardless of your, quote, ministry, we're all ministers. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And that word new means to love, to treasure, to highly value. And he says, before I created you in your mother, and we read out of Psalm 139 to open up, right? Why? Because we need to understand that we're here because of God. Any human being who is on the earth, who has been born in the natural, is because God had plans and purposes for them. And Jeremiah is confirming that. And he says, and before you were born, I consecrated you, which means that he set us apart. Now, here's the amazing thing that we have to understand. He set us apart for himself first. Just to be able to love us. And for us to be loved by Him. He set us apart. He consecrated us for that. 
And I just want to encourage you with that. And I pray that you would get this in your heart and mind because we need this. We need to know that this is the God that created us and the God who loves us and the God who is with us and for us and never leaves us and never forsakes us. This is Him. And you can turn with me to Mark chapter 12. But if you remember a couple weeks ago, I think it was like maybe three weeks ago now, and I shared about how I would tell our kids, I would tell their story about their birth and then always relate it back to God and the fact that He had a much greater, a much bigger desire for them than even their mom and dad did, even though ours is so strong, it's so great. There's nothing that they can do that would stop us from loving them. We may not agree with everything they do, but nothing is going to stop us from loving them. Nothing. Because there are. And yet, we carry this over with God that as soon as we've done something wrong, we feel like He doesn't love us anymore. Like, all He's created us for so He can keep whacking us on the head every time we make a mistake and our head hurts. That's not it. He loves us and He's for us. In Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28, and we read this several weeks ago, but I just want to read again and we'll go from here. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered. Okay, so this is the most important. Okay? This is what our life needs to center around. If Jesus said this, then this is true for us. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. How many of us do that? How many of us love the Lord that much? The second is this, verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And, And so if you are making anything else more important than this, then you've created another commandment. But I'm telling you, it's not greater than this one. Verse 32. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw, He answered wisely. He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. So God is after our hearts. But can I tell you, we're the ones who determine if He gets them. We have a part to play in this as to whether He gets our heart or not. 
At the time of salvation, God gets a portion of our hearts. And then the rest of our lives is a matter of making decisions to give Him more and more of our heart on a daily, moment-by-moment basis. You will live, once you come to salvation in Christ, you will live out the rest of your, your life trying to give Him more and more of your heart every day. At first, we're excited and we give Him our hearts and we do whatever He asks of us because we are so grateful. He loved us and saved us and we will do anything. But as time goes by and we get more time into our walk, it seems as if we start to slow down giving God more of our hearts. Like we've been convinced that we can't trust Him anymore. You know, at the time of salvation, it's great because we know that we can trust Him and we know that we have to trust Him. But then as time goes by in our walk with Him, it seems as if we come to the conclusion that we can't trust His heart towards us. And so we stop giving Him our hearts. We hold back part of our heart. Because in that uncertainty of not thinking we can trust Him, we decide that it is safer for us just to hold on a little bit more of our heart so that we can stay in control. We are control freaks. We love control so much and then that hinders us from our walk with God and our trust with God. You know, this is how crazy we are. We keep control of our life. Our life isn't any better than what it was before. But we keep, giving, we keep holding on to that control. Whereas if we would let go of that control and trust His heart, our life would automatically get better. Anytime He's in control, it's going to be good. Anytime we're in control, it's not going to be good. And yet we sit here in our minds and we're like, uh, I don't know what we are. We're mental. And we're like, God, I want to give it up, but I don't know if I can trust you. What? Yes, you can. You haven't done a great job with your life. He, he's not going to make it any worse. Yes. And so God is forced to wait until we give up control, give Him more of our heart. And how we, when we control our hearts, when we compartmentalize, when, when we're in control of our hearts, we think we're safe, but we're really not. We're not safe at all. And what we're doing is total opposite of what God wants for us. We're holding on. We're in control. And it's just like Diana was sharing this morning that we have chains around us. And the great definition of chains is anything that binds us and holds us back. And, and that's what control of our hearts does with God. We hold ourselves back from all that He has for us. Can I tell you? Let it go. 
He has a much better plan for our life than we have for our life. And he knows how to get us there. He's the one who knew us before he formed us in our mother's womb. He knew us. He knew the plan. He set us apart for himself. We can trust him. When we're walking in that control where we're controlling our lives or we're controlling our portion of our heart that we're not going to give up to God. Can I tell you that we're just walking in fear? And fear is not freedom. Fear is bondage. And for whatever reason, we have that fear. Maybe it's fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough, fear of being too vulnerable because we're going to get hurt by people again. You know, if you don't want to get hurt by people again, then just stop breathing. Because people, we're, we don't have it all together. We're going to fail one another. We're going we're gonna to hurt one another. And if you haven't figured it out, we usually hurt the ones who are closest to us. And yet, We struggle. When we understand God's love for us, we won't fear being vulnerable. Anytime we open ourselves up to people, we're going to get hurt. I don't care if they're saved, if they're unsaved. I don't care if they're related to you, not related to you. I don't care if they go to church, don't go to church. I don't care if they speak in tongues, don't speak in tongues. I don't care if they're Democrat, Republican, Independent. I don't care who they are. If you open yourself up to them, you are going to get hurt sooner or later. But there's a God who loves us, who says, but if you'll turn to me, I'll take care of that. I'll help you. And then, because we've been hurt, and we're walking in this fear, then, and, and then we, again, we portion our heart towards God. We don't give Him everything. We shy away from giving Him our heart. Because we don't know that He really does love us and that He is for us and that He works all things out for our good. And that we can trust His heart towards us. If we can look back at Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so I just want us to pause for a moment and just think about what Jesus is actually saying here. And to get the full understanding of that, if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6. So the commandment is for us to chase after God, to love Him, to seek after Him. That's our responsibility. Okay? And I just want you to know, Jesus didn't just pull this out of the air, pull it out of His magic hat and give it to us. He purposely answered this way. And it's found, the the reason He did that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. And, well, let me read it and then we'll give you the background. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Where shall they be? On our heart. Okay? Not in our minds, even though that's where it starts, but in our hearts. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so we'll stop there. Moses has brought them out of Egypt. He's delivered them from Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're walking around. They've rejected God and they're walking around. And God is caring for them. God is loving on them. And this is the command that Moses is sharing with them. This is how you're... We've come out of Egypt. This is how we're supposed to live our life. Now, you've got... Leviticus and Numbers and, and, you know, all the law and stuff like that. But now Moses is getting to the heart of the matter and he's like trying to get him to see it's your heart that God is after. And so with all of your heart, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pursue God. And then he's talking to the parents and he says, parents, you're supposed to write this on the heart of your children. And he he gives them instruction as to how to talk about it. When you're sitting down, you sit down and you talk about the things of God. And it's not hard to talk about the things of God to your children. When you're eating a meal, if you're eating a meal, you can sit down and you can start talking to them about God's provision and how God provides for you and how God is faithful. When you're out walking around, you can look at nature and you can be thankful for what God has given us. How He created it. The beauty of it. You can say, you know, that was by the hand of God. It's amazing to me that I will call Diana and I'll take pictures after I've stopped driving. Of the sun rising or the sun setting because it's just absolutely beautiful. And we're in Iowa and it's beautiful. Isn't that amazing? But those are opportunities. I mean, we would drive around and and it would be, we would let our children know this is God. He painted this for us to be able to see it tonight. But this is the instruction because Moses is trying to get them to understand, okay, 
And think about this for a moment too. This is so foreign to them, to the Israelites, because there's nobody who had a God that loved them. They were always trying to do something to appease gods. And now Moses is saying, no, your God is not like them. He's a God who wants you to come to Him. He wants you to know Him and to love Him and to be loved by Him. And so he's giving them this instruction. All the other gods that they've ever known that were out in the world, they had to make sacrifices. They had to do things. They were to the point where they were sacrificing their children trying to appease those gods. And God says, look, wait a minute. Or Moses is trying to get him to say, hey, wait a minute, our God is not like that. He loves you. You can come to Him. You can seek Him now. And so that's why it's important when Jesus is talking, He's really quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's nothing new. And so I'm here to tell you, if Jesus said this is the greatest thing you can do for your life, it's the greatest thing you can do for your life. It's to get to know the God who loves you. Get to know Him. Do you know you just have this sense that Moses is trying to get him to see, you know what? We're family here. You get to know God. You get to know your heavenly Father. He's the one who created you. But he's wrapping it around within families as well. Why? Because he wants us to know that God operates through families. He moves through families. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're getting ready to have that as their own. And Moses is giving them this instruction and others that he gives them. And he's giving them because it's one thing to go into the land and get the land, but it's another thing to go into the land and hold the land for God. And he's like, this is how you do it. You hold the land. You, you let the land become God's because you are his first. You seek after God. You draw close to him. You do it with all your might. When you're tired, you still read anyways. You still seek after Him. They're getting, and, and you can read this later, they're getting ready to enter into a land. And, and He says it's with houses that you did not build. Houses that are filled with furniture that you did not make. You're going into vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to reap from trees that you didn't plant. But if you're going to hold on to it, it's one thing to go into it, but if you're going to hold on to it, you've got to know God. You've got to know His love for you. And so He gives them this. Verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6. Everything within them was to love God first. And this is the first and greatest commandment. Loving God with all that they are. And the same is true for us as well. They were to pass this love down to generations as they teach it to their children. And can I tell you something? If you are relying on the church to teach your children, you're missing the boat. 
Because we're not here long enough to teach your children. It's As a parent, it's your responsibility to teach your children to love God. And if you don't have parents that are teaching and you have been graced with salvation, then get to know Him anyway. He'll be right there waiting for you. And so, when you think about their journey, and don't don't get judgmental about them because we do the same thing. But what's so amazing to me is how quickly they forgot God when they came out of Egypt. How much whiners and complainers they were. I mean, like, God gets them and there's no place for them to go. And the enemy is coming after them. They can't turn any direction. And there's a Red Sea that is keeping them. And God says, that's no problem for me. And He lets them go across on dry ground. They get across and the enemy has this thought, well, if they did it, we can do it. Well, no, you can't. So, I mean, like, wouldn't you think that the parting of the Red Sea would get them to understand that they can trust God? But it didn't. And then they're out in the wilderness and then, you know, uh, they complain about not having water, so God miraculously provides water. And God shows Himself faithful over and over and over again to them. And they keep rejecting it. And I just wonder how many times is God faithful to us and we keep rejecting it? How are we going to pass it on to other generations if we don't get it? I mean, the command was for them to, to get to know God, get to know His love, and then write it on their children's heart. Talk about it all the time. Post it. You know, and he didn't have sticky notes back then. We do. We can post it anywhere we want. Every day in every way, our generation is to be pointing all generations to follow to God. To teach all generations to know the truth of God's Word. So that they will know the God of that truth. We need to steward what God has given us and to pass it on and we need to teach God's truth. And... In Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, I'm not going to read it again. We've read it, but that's the basics. That's the first thing that all of us need to concentrate on. That we need to study out. There's only one God and you can't get to choose God. There's only one. There's not several gods that you can choose from. You just pick the one that makes you the happiest. No, there's one God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
and we love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might, with all of our strength. And it's not enough to have intellectual knowledge of this God. If you were to ask people all around this world, do you know that there's a God? Most of them would say yes. Do they know Him? No. And God is inviting us to come to get to know Him. He says in verse 6, Deuteronomy 6, 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You know, we can know the words of the commandments, but we need to know the God of the commandments first. We need our hearts or we need hearts that are right with God, fully devoted to him. Eager to do what he says and to live according to his word. And this brings me to Pastor Tim Keller again. And again, this is what's in your bulletin, but I just want to read it to you. What captures the heart's trust and love also controls the feelings and behavior. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, the emotions find valuable, and the will finds doable. It is all important then to move the heart to stop trusting and loving other things more than God. That's the battle. What makes people into what they are is the order of their loves. <clears throat> what they love most, more, less, and least. It's more fundamental to who you are than even the beliefs to which you mentally subscribe. Your loves show what you actually believe in, not what you say you do. In other words, not what you say you believe. People, therefore, <clears throat> change, not by merely changing their thinking, but by changing what they love most. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there anything, anybody that we love more than God? Let me read this to you again. Jeremiah chapter 1. Verses 4 and 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Can I tell you something? When we know that God loves us, when we're certain that God loves us, 
That's when we find out who we really are. That's when we know who we really are. You see, until we know that God loves us, we don't know who we really are. But once we know that God really loves us, we know who we really are. Who we really are when we know that God loves us is we are loved by God. And when we are loved by God and we know that because we know God first, when we've done what Deuteronomy tells us to do, what Mark chapter 12 tells us to do, then we know that we are loved by God and we know that we are loved through Christ. And when we know that we're loved by God and through Christ and the Holy Spirit is with us, then here's what happens to us. We start resting. And I'm telling you, some of you need to start resting. Because when you're not resting, you're striving. And when you're striving, it's because you're trying to earn God's love. You're trying to prove your worth to a God who already loves you. To a God who already formed you. Who set you apart for His plans and His purposes. He already loves us. You don't have to try and do things to get His love. He already loves us. You need to put the pedal down. Quit picking them off. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And then you're sad because you get to the end. He loves me not. Yes, He does. Now, if it's in the natural and you're doing that, go ahead. But don't do it with God. Because when we get it settled in our hearts and in our minds that God loves us, then what else matters? We start resting, we stop striving. And we stop doing the things to validate our worth and our being. Can I tell you something? And I really believe this with all of my heart. When we understand how much God loves us, then that removes the pain of any rejection that we've experienced in this world. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen like instant, but it's going to set us on that path, on that course, to where the pain of that rejection is not going to bother us, and it's not going to bother us because we know God loves us. We know that before He made us in our mother's womb, He knew us, He loved us, He treasured us, He had us in His mind, and He set us apart for Himself. Do you know how much freedom there is in that? When we know that God loves us, you don't have to keep working and keep striving, keep trying to do things. We don't have to compete with others. You know, we do that all the time. We compete with others because we're trying to get God to see us and to make get His attention that we're better than they are. So God, you've got to love us more. What? That means you don't know that He loves you. And so when we understand that He loves us, we stop competing with one another as to who's better. When we know that God loves us, 
We stop striving. And we just trust. We just trust. I, I shared a couple of weeks ago. I don't know how God takes all of my mistakes, all of my failures, and turns them around for good, but He does. He does. You know, and some of you want Him to work double time and triple time sometimes. Just relax. Just rest. He loves us. You know, throughout the years, 32 years of ministry, I mean, we've heard horror stories of how some of you came into this world. Can I tell you? You came in here because you have a God who loves you. You have a heavenly Father who so loved you that He brought you into this world. So that He could love you and so that you could love Him. We love because He first loved us. You say, well, Pastor, you don't know all the things I've been through. But I do know this. He loves you. He loves you. Stand with me. Do you remember being in school and trying to be the teacher's pet? Now, some of y'all may not have ever tried this. But to be, <laughs> to be the teacher's pet, you always did everything, right? You did whatever they had. And you just hoped that they would notice. And, you know, sometimes we, we have that mentality with God. I pray that our hearts are open to his love. You hear me all the time being so thankful and so grateful for his love because I am. And I pray that for you as well. And if you can't pray that prayer for yourself, like you don't know how to pray, then just get my recordings and pray it like I do for yourself. All right? Because we need to know he loves us. That'll solve most of our problems. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you have for us. We're so grateful for it. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who do exactly what Jesus said to do, that we make this commandment, commandment number one in our hearts and in our minds, that we love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our might, all of our strength. Lord, that this is job number one for our lives is to realize how great your love is for us. How treasured we really are by you. Help us to be that people. In Jesus' name, amen.
and amen. All right, the Lord bless you.